slash afternoon church. Hey, if you're a guest visiting with us related to those who got baptized, we are so honored that you would join us this morning to celebrate life change on Celebration Sunday. This is what it's about. This is why we do church and why we are the church. And one of the things that we've been saying at Austin Oaks Church is that we need every generation to reach the next generation. And I love the fact that we're seeing this because there's a verse that's been driving our hearts as leadership in Judges chapter 210 that said that after Joshua and his generation, there arose another one that did not know the Lord. And I love being able to experience this together as a church and to say not on our watch as we're seeing God transforms the lives of every generation. Amen? That's so awesome. Now, I like to believe I am a phenomenal person when it comes to directions. I don't need to be told where to go. I know where to go, and I don't oftentimes need a GPS. You can call me arrogant. I like to believe I have a natural compass inside of me that I just instinctively know where to go. So a few years ago, I got this opportunity to speak at a youth camp way up north in the sticks of Minnesota, and the, the camp director invited me and my crew to have dinner with him, and so he was giving me directions to his house, right? And so he's like, you're going to want to grab a piece of paper and a pencil because the GPS isn't going to be right. And I was, just, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm good. And lo and behold, I was driving. I didn't have it. I didn't even tell the people in the car. And he's telling me all these directions. like, got it, got it, got it. And he's like, at this one intersection, you're going to need to turn this way. And I swear that I had it down. And so I got to that intersection. And I remember stopping at that stop sign and just going, okay. <sighs> like I had a moment of panic, but I didn't want anybody to know in the car that I didn't know. And I turned left. And he said, it's about a mile and a half down the road, you'll see my house. And so I went down about a mile and a half, was watching the odometer. And sure enough, there's a house. There's a bunch of cars. It looks like a camp director's house. If you know camp directors, you know what I'm talking about. So I walk in, like I go to the house, and I knew this camp director. He's a, he's a goofy guy. He's not for like a lot of formality. So we just kind of like walked into this house, and in the kitchen like was just a spread of food, but there was no one to be found. And so I'm like, okay, this has got to be the right house, right? Because I'm like, here's the food. I can hear a bunch of people talking and a bunch of people laughing. And so up comes this sweet old lady up the stairs, and she looks at me kind of like, Hi. And I was just like, hey, Brandon's here to have lunch with Larry, the camp director. She's like, I don't know a Larry. And I looked at her, I was like, yeah, you do. Because, like, Larry's a practical joker. I knew him. So I'm like, sure you do. Larry, you know, you know, short guy. She's like, no, I, I, I really don't know a Larry. And I was like, are you sure? Because I was supposed to go down this way. And she's like, it really isn't. And I was like, okay. And, she, and I was like, so what is this place? And she's like, wow, it's a bunch of us sweet ladies. We're here on a retreat, on a quilting retreat. <laughs> and I'm like, the whole time, I'm like, you're lying, right? Like, the whole time. And all of a sudden, she's like, like I finally just, out of the awkwardness of like 10 minutes as my friends are starting to eat the food in the kitchen, I was just like, I think we're going to go. Nice to meet you. So sorry. We walked out. I call Larry. He's like, bro, did you turn left? And I was like. He's like, you were supposed to turn right. And I remember, like, the whole weekend, he just kept mocking me and making fun of me. He went to this place that was called Raspberry Ridge, 
literally, this is the website. He went and got a coffee mug and a T-shirt and a raspberry. Like, nonetheless. So it's like, have you ever had those moments in your life where you were absolutely certain that you were certain? Like, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. You're like, no, I know that I'm right. Even though it wasn't necessarily like a factual thing, you're just like, I know this is the way it should be. This is how life should be. I know I'm supposed to take a left instead of a right. To find yourself at some moment, somewhere down the road going, is this wrong? Have you ever had those moments in your life where maybe you're like laying in bed at night and all of a sudden certain things are happening in your life, almost like certain events that like seems like coincidental or God's bringing up. And you start to wonder, have I been living the right way? Have I been thinking the right way? Have I been acting the right way? And certain things start to feel almost as if like the snow globe of your life has just been rattled you just don't know what to do. And you have this level of uncertainty and you start to feel anxious. What do you do in those moments? I liken that to how God pursues us. And I want to share with you a story that I know that everybody has heard at some point in your life. Have you ever seen a sporting game? They don't do it so much anymore, but they used to hold up those signs that said John 3, 16. Like, you all know that. Like, that was a popular thing. I want to share with you the story of a man who was absolutely certain that his way of life was right. His way of believing was right. To the degree that he would stand in opposition to other people, saying, no, that's not right. And so I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, interesting little verse. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is a guy of stature. This is a guy with clout and position and wealth. He was one of the main teachers in all of Israel, the people of God. Something was stirring inside of him, and all of a sudden it says, this man came to Jesus by night. And I always ask the question, why night? Because if the Pharisees or other people knew and saw this man, Nicodemus, going to Jesus by day to actually ask questions about what he's doing and why are people following him, they would start to question Nicodemus. So he comes at night. And if you were there and you were to ask Nicodemus, why did you come? I guarantee you he would say, I couldn't sleep. Something's just been not sitting right. I don't know who this man is. I hear things about him. People are talking about him. He's talking about the love of God. He's healing people. He's doing these crazy miracles. He turned water into wine. Like, yeah, I want to know more about this guy. So he comes that night. There's something stirring inside of him. Or maybe, just maybe, all that he thought was right was wrong. And so he has to go get answers. What do you do when you feel anxious? When certain events start to stir in your life that create this sense of uncertainty, do you dig your heels in? Be like, no, I'm right. Or do you come in curiosity, in investigation? He comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, he's flattering him. He's like, hey, we're on equal ground here. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Nicodemus is stirred up. A restless night. Restless nights. I remember before I was a follower of Jesus, 
when I used to struggle with alcohol and certain ways of living, I remember thinking that I was good because I was a Lutheran boy. That's what we are in Minnesota and Wisconsin. We're Lutherans. I was baptized as an infant, and I was confirmed, and I went to Lutheran school. I'm good. I tried to be good. So many things were going wrong, and inside there was so much turmoil and uncertainty, and I was just wondering, is this the right way to live? But I was so embarrassed to let other people know. But I'm telling you, God was haunting me and pursuing me in those moments of the restless nights when he couldn't allow me to sleep. I had to find an answer. I had to know what was happening. So I came to Jesus at night. Because I didn't want other people to know. Because quite frankly, the way my friend group saw Jesus, even the way I saw Jesus, was foolish. It's a crutch. Why would you do that? It's all about good behaviors. They want to ruin your fun. They're arrogant. They're bigots. They really say they love people. They really don't. That was what we thought. I didn't want my friends to know that I was looking into Jesus. So I came at night. Jesus skips the flattery. He goes right to the issue. Nicodemus is like, hey, Jesus, I know you're someone important. Jesus is like, let's move beyond that. Let me answer the question that you're asking, but you're not asking. And he tells him, if you want to know what's happening, you have to be born again. You have to be born anew, Nicodemus. And this is done by water and by the Spirit. Flesh can't do this. You can't do this on your own. You're not going to be able to bring peace to the uncertainty, to the restlessness and the struggle that you're feeling, Nicodemus. You're not going to. And until you move towards me, you're always going to be restless. In fact, Nicodemus, if you had a car, that pesky check engine light showed up, and you don't know how to get rid of that, that's me. Nicodemus, the check engine light is on. I'm getting your attention. You have to start over, Nicodemus. Imagine how Nicodemus would be feeling in this moment when he's got position. His whole career is built around being a teacher of the law. This is the way it is. I've lived all these years this way. And now he's hearing from this guy, Jesus, that you have to start over. Everything you thought was right is wrong. What would you do in that moment? Do you know the most important question to answer in your life? What is the most important question that you have to answer in this life? Who is Jesus? And that question is going to make you get to that spot where you're going to have to wrestle with, so you're telling me that the way I've been living, the way I've been thinking is wrong, that I have to start over, I have to be born again, born anew. Jesus like, that's what I'm telling you. And if you ignore the check engine light, you're going to crash. It's going to be a collapse. There's going to be no coming back from it. What does Nicodemus do? He sort of digs his heels in, 
but yet he's also curious. He asks a question out of defense. He's like, how can this be, Jesus? How can someone enter into the womb of their mother again and to be born again to which Jesus? you got to imagine it's going, dude, stop deflecting. Of course that's not what I'm talking about. But like Nicodemus is feeling defensive because Jesus is meddling with this business. Nicodemus, what you thought was right is wrong. Well, that's foolish. So let me defend myself. How can that be? That's all that is. He's not really wanting to know, but he's wanting to know, but yet he's not wanting to know. And Jesus gives this answer by telling this little story from the Old Testament when the nation of Israel was being punished for their obedience and a bunch of venomous snakes bit them. And the only solution that God gave them was to put a bronze serpent on a cross and said, all you got to do is look to that serpent and then you'll be healed. But if you don't look to that serpent and you try to find a remedy or you try to find some other way to mitigate the pain or get the poison out of you, I'm trying to not use the word vaccine because I don't want to go there, but I just did. Sorry, that is not a political statement at all. But it's just like, what else? Like, it's just this man-made thing. There's nothing that can ever save you or fix you. And God told Moses to say, all you have to do is look to that serpent on the cross. The serpent doesn't heal you. It's the act of faith by looking to the serpent. And all the while, the whole time, Jesus is setting him up saying, I'm going to be the one who in a few years will be nailed on a cross. And all you're going to have to do is look to me to live. Stop trying. Stop trying to make sense of this. You're not going to make sense of this. And that's why Jesus gave Nicodemus this little thing. He's like, listen, the spirit's a lot like the wind. Like, I know you're not going to understand this. You're not going to be able to read a book. You're not going to go to classes and have conversations and figure out the mysteries of God. It's like the wind. You don't know where it's going to come from. But you know it's there. You see its effects on people. You see how it can move the branches and the wind. It can move and shatter homes and knock down trees. You know that. That's how the Spirit is, Nicodemus. We're not being theoretical. I'm talking about things that we see. That's why I love baptism. Because if anybody wants to argue about the reality of Jesus Christ, you want to academically argue it. You want to debate it. You want to get into the theoretical. Jesus is like, we're not dealing with theory. We're talking about life and death and new life called the new birth through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the wind of God moving in the people's lives. You want proof? It's the transformation in how people live. When God saved me from my suicidal depression, alcoholism, all that kind of stuff, people knew who I was. And when they saw how God radically changed me, people became Christians, not because of me, but because they saw what God did in me. These are stories of life change. Nicodemus was restless because he thought he knew and he was feeling uncertain, so he came to Jesus that night. And Jesus gives him the answer. And Nicodemus does not profess faith here. 
He walks away. But he's on a journey. Because the next scene we see with Nicodemus is in John chapter 7. When people are talking about Jesus, they don't know what to think about Jesus. He's healing people, resurrecting people, preaching things. And some are like, no, he's, he's a man possessed by a demon. He's a fraud. He's trying to lead people astray. And so the Pharisees send their own cops to go find out about Jesus to basically kind of arrest him or to silence him. And they come back and they give the report. They're like, where is he? Why is he still talking? And they're like, we heard what he was saying. We couldn't do it. Did you hear what he says? Did you see what he's doing? We we had to listen. We had to watch. And the Pharisees literally go, oh, he's got you too. And Nicodemus has a choice here because he's in this moment. He's one of the leaders. He can have any say. He can join with the rest of his pharisaical party and say, yes, let's stop him. You can stay silent or you can speak up. Nicodemus chooses to speak up. John chapter 7, verse 50. He goes to the Sanhedrin and he goes, Hey, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning to what he does? It's like his like soft and easy way of saying, We should hear the guy out. Let's not judge him. And I also love that John said, Oh, he was the one that gone before at night. John's given us a clue to the journey. Some of you might not be at a spot today where you're like, yes, Jesus, you're Lord and Savior, but you're here because you're wrestling with some things in your life and you wonder if Jesus is right. I want you to know that God loves you so much that he gives you the grace and the patience for you to journey. Church, it's a place where we come together to worship Jesus, but to extend grace and patience to each other to journey to discover who Jesus is. The story continues. Jesus dies on the cross. I'm willing to bet. I know that at that moment, Nicodemus is looking at Jesus on the cross and he's remembering that conversation. Wait, Jesus said, just like Moses put the serpent on the cross, that the Son of Man would be lifted up. And I remember that all we had to do was to look to Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's like almost as if Nicodemus is realizing, is it too late? Because Jesus is now dead, hanging lifeless on a cross, naked, ashamed, bloody, for the whole world to look at. You want a Savior? There he is. Something happened in Nicodemus' heart. John 19, verse 38 through 42. And after these things, Jesus nailed to the cross, breathing his last and dying. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Look at this. Nicodemus also, who earlier came to Jesus by night. John's like, he got him. He came, took away his body. He came to Jesus night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of weight. They took the body of Jesus. Friends, use your imagination. 
How hard would it be? Take the body of our Lord and Savior who is nailed to a cross. You can't reach him by foot. You've got to get a ladder. How do you get those nails out? How is that not a public display of shame? Nicodemus, a man of stature, a leader of the Pharisees, you don't touch that people. He's the one who's a heresy. We crucified him because he was a heretic. Nicodemus is saying, no. I thought that. I thought that. He was the son of man. And almost out of desperation, you get this feeling like, I hope this is not too late, God. I love you. This is my act of worship. He wasn't expecting Nicodemus to resurrect. Hey, let's get him to my house and wait for the moment. This was love. But this was a moment when Nicodemus had to come to the realization that all he thought about life, truth, and everything else that goes with it was wrong. And that he had to be born again. And he couldn't do it. And all he had to do was look to Jesus and publicly shaming his own life. He basically sacrificed his career. He could have been killed. Took down the body of Jesus. Scholars say that John 3.16 wasn't actually part of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. They would say this was John's commentary of that conversation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, who is God in the flesh, to save the world, not to condemn the world. God sent his son to not to tell you you're wrong to guilt you, to shame you, to ridicule you. He came to this world that was hostile in opposition to him, that was lost in thinking we know the right way. I'm going to turn left instead of right. I'm going to go to a quilting retreat instead. He so loved the world that Jesus knew that the only way for us to have life was for him to give his life as a ransom to die on the cross, to be beaten, to be whipped, to be shamed. So that when he died, we could die with him. Our old life could be buried with him. He did that because he knew in three days he would raise again from the dead. And that his new life would now be our new life. Buried with him raised with him. How can this be? You're not going to understand it. Just look at the wind. You don't understand it, but you believe it. It's okay. Nicodemus went from this progression to the point where he said, Jesus, I'm all in. I want you to hear a story of friends of ours 
and how God transformed their lives. So I'm going to ask Dave to come up, his beautiful wife and baby, probably not coming up, but maybe she is. Give them your attentive ear. And to hear, I want you to hear, this is, you want to know what the gospel is, what it looks like? You cannot argue life change. Hear the story of life change. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave. This is my wife, Jennifer. Um, we don't have time today to tell you all the miracles that God has done in our lives. We started already. We don't have time. And so what we're going to tell you is what brings us here today, part of the story that brings us here today. And there are many themes, but the overarching themes is that God is real. He is who he says he is. There's purpose and pain. Like Brandon just said, you're not going to understand it until you get to the other side. But God is good. He's absolutely good. And I've been a believer my whole life. As long as I can remember, I've been in this church for 20 years. But what brings me here today is what I've been through in the past two, three years. Um, To jump into the story, uh, summer of... 2019, we were on road rules with kids, and uh, we were married for seven uh, seven months at that point, and on that trip, we learned that we were pregnant, and uh, it was joyful news, um, but a week later, we were rocked by the near-successful suicide attempt of our daughter, Matt. <laughs> stopped breathing in her mother's arms. And Jennifer called on the name of Jesus, and she started breathing again, miracle upon miracle that night. We lived far out in the country, and ambulance happened to be nearby. Her brother and sister slept through the whole thing. Miracle after miracle. Doors opened to get... Maddie into a long-term program that she needed. There's usually a waiting list, and she got in. A month later, Maddie's in that program, and we learn that we lose our baby right at 10 weeks. And uh, that requires surgery, and so um, we get to the hospital, and the next part of the story is from Jennifer. So we're at the hospital. It was a Friday morning. I work in surgery. I'm a surgical tech. So I know the complexity of the procedure. And I'm telling David, who doesn't handle medical stuff very well, on a scale of 1 to 10, this procedure and complexity is a 1. I will see you in about 10 minutes, right? Like this is... 
This is so that we could have a genetic analysis and know um, if there was some kind of cause outside of what we could see uh, that resulted in this miscarriage. So I remember kissing David and saying, I'll see you soon, baby. And I went back um, to surgery. And then I woke up. But I didn't wake up in recovery. I woke up in the operating room. And it was so real. I remember smelling blood and seeing people frantically moving around the operating room. And there was this big, bright light. And uh, I, I couldn't make sense of it. I was like, am I dreaming? What's happening here? And I look up, and Jesus is holding a little baby boy. And, uh, you know, when, when I looked at that, I, I had this overwhelming peace, this peace that I, I can't even describe with words that said, hey, um, I love you. Everything's going to be okay. And I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay right there. I wanted to stay right there with Jesus holding this baby boy. And something called me to go back. Something called me to go back, and when I woke up, I thought, man, that was, that was a crazy dream. <laughs> and uh, the doctor was in recovery, and she said, Jennifer, I have to keep you overnight. You've lost a lot of blood. You may need a transfusion. I can't explain it. I don't know why that happened, um, but we're going to make sure that you're okay. And then I realized that wasn't a dream. Jesus was holding our baby boy. So we had to meet with the doctor to go over the results of the genetic analysis. Uh, a couple of weeks later, those genetic results did come back, and it was a healthy baby boy, just like we thought, just like Jesus said. Um, the doctor, uh, the, the genetics uh, was necessary to make sure that we could conceive again health, healthfully, healthfully. Uh, but the doctor said, wait six months, try it on your own, see what happens. If not, we'll try IVF. Well, uh, fast forward six months, and that is the start of COVID. And nobody is doing IVF because the doctors don't want to put uh, a woman with pregnancy uh, possibly at risk in the hospital where this virus was taking over. Uh, and so uh, we had to wait. And then uh, a few months after that uh, is the summer now of 2020, uh, a few months into COVID. I get a call late at night, and uh, I learned that one of my best friends was taken by COVID. She was my sister. I loved her. She watched us get married in that building right there. Um, her name was Annie. And I had questions. And the first question was, coming from that spot of desperation that Brandon just explained to you, did she know God? Did she know Jesus? And her fiancé answered that question, and he said no. And I was accountable. For that, 
because I had the chance to share this story that I'm sharing with you right now with somebody that I loved and somebody that I cared for, and I missed my chance. Brothers and sisters, I missed my chance to tell her that Jesus was real, that there is something on the other side, and it's promised to you, and I missed it. This is life and death. Why we're here today, it's life and death. My father's health started to fail. And I was on the phone with Don, and I said, can you pray with me? Because he's been Catholic his whole life, but raising, you know, being raised in that religion, you can be in religion and not have a relationship, amen? <laughs> like, that's that doesn't mean that you know Jesus. You, I went to him and I said, Dad, I, I just, I want to share this with you. I missed my chance with somebody that I loved and I never want to do that again. Do you know what's on the other side? And he said, yes. Yes, Jennifer, I know. I know that the only way is Jesus. The difference between saying goodbye to a friend that didn't know Jesus and my father who did was peace, right? Like that's, it's peace. And we're here today because grace is a gift. And something that was said to me over and over is, oh, you loved her. She's, she's going to be okay. And, you know, I wish that was enough, right? I wish that it was enough that my love for a friend that did not acknowledge God would get her to the place where I could see her again, but it's not. And it's not comforting to be told a lie so that you don't have to feel what you need to feel. It's not. What's comforting is to know that what's on the other side of this is real. And we have a chance right now, in this moment, to share it with any ear that will listen. Right? Jesus is real. The other side is waiting for us. Guys, that's eternity. And we are here for a very short time. We're here today to give you this message. If you're on the fence, if you're sitting in the bleachers, if you're on the sideline, it's time to get up. We can't pass a torch if we're not on fire first. So I ask for that Holy Spirit to rain down in this place today, to ignite in you a fire, a Holy Spirit fire, to take over your lives and get out there, because there's a revival coming. It's promised to us. I want to be a part of that. Don't you? Jennifer, it's, it's such an honor for me to get to be here today with both of you in the waters of baptism. 
Jennifer, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to this world, took on the form of a human man, walked among us, lived a sinless life, chose to willingly lay down his life by going to the cross. There he paid the debt for your sin, for my sin, went into the tomb, was there for three days, and rose again. Amen, I believe. Do you believe that there is no other hope of salvation, only through Jesus Christ? I do. And why is it that you're here today to be baptized? Because Jesus is the only way, and I'm ready to do my part. Amen. of faith, I now get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. 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 We praise you, Lord God. dressed in the clothes of wealth and importance of fluence, they climb awkwardly up the rungs. Like toddlers taking their first steps, they reach for the bloody corpse of Jesus. Flesh and bone give way and they limply fall on the shoulders. The weight of heaven and earth, where there had been once warmth and compassion, is now cold and lifeless. Hands that had touched the untouchable, now torn through with steel. 
eyes which had gazed once on those long forgotten, now sealed in darkness, feet which journeyed into the homes of enemies, now broken, a heart which held eternal love, pierced. No path could take them back from this choice. To touch a dead man was to lose more than a job if you were Nicodemus. Clothes stained with blood. They placed the body of Jesus on a stone slab and began the process of final preparation. Like dressing a newborn baby, they wash and clean the dried blood and tissue, strips of clean linen adored with myrrh and aloe swaddled the hope of the world. What now? Good news. Jesus conquered death and the grave so that we could have newness of life. This is your opportunity to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Some of you are at a spot where maybe you've been feeling this restlessness and now's the time to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to him. Doesn't mean you have to understand it. Say yes. Some of you might be at a place where you've been maybe following Jesus, and this is your moment of climbing up the rung and being public with your faith and saying, Jesus, I'm all in. That's what baptism is, is an obedience thing that Jesus called us to, but it's a public declaration of our faith and saying, Jesus, maybe I once considered this foolishness. It's still mysterious to me, but I know you're the son of God and I know this is right. I'm all in. So we want to give you an opportunity to do two things. If today's a day where you're ready to profess faith in Jesus, we're going to have some folks back here. The elders will be back here. Look for people in the baby blue shirt. We'll be back here. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. Don't say no. And I'm telling you right now, I know that the wind of God is blowing on your hearts right now. And some of you are at a spot where maybe you've never been baptized. Or maybe you were baptized as an infant and it wasn't your decision. And maybe you've been following Jesus, but you haven't done that publicly. May this be the moment. Now, some of you might be like, it's too cold. That's warm water. Excuse removed. What am I going to wear? We got shirts. No excuse. Your baptism stirs up the faith of the community. So we're going to sing some songs and worship and celebration. And if you're at a spot thinking about being baptized, want to be baptized, or you want to profess faith in Jesus, please come on up to over on this side, and we'll be here to greet you pray with you, to celebrate with you, and to give you all of the resources you need. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship and celebrate and just watch what the Lord does. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for the gospel. Where there was no way, you made a way. You became sin for us. You died for us. You were buried, and you conquered death in the grave for us so that now the life we live is your life. The old is gone, the new has come. It's a start over. 
God, I pray for those of us who are wrestling with uncertainty, where maybe we think that there was a certain way of life, a certain way of thinking is right. God, I ask through the power of your spirit that you would blow on their hearts. Would you blow, Spirit of God, would you move and soften hearts? Lord, we exalt you. We're going to praise you, God, and we're going to worship you, even for us who've been on this journey. We've said yes to Jesus. We've been baptized. May this be another moment of committing our hearts to you. But Lord, I also want to pray for our friends out here who are maybe at a spot where Nicodemus was, where you might be thinking it's foolishness, it's mysterious, we don't know, not ready to make a decision, but I'm willing to hear it out. God, I pray that your grace and your patience would be thick and evident in their life. We pray this Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I like that.